Welcome. This is Efrat Sabalovsky from Why You Connects, happy to introduce Candidate, a candid conversation about today's dating life with experienced guests. Our wonderful host this evening is Rabbi Shmuel Ismach, Rabbi of Young Israel of Great Neck and Rebbe in the Stone-Based Medrash program at Yeshiva University. This podcast is anonymously sponsored by Eloy Nishmas Chano Chaim Ben Yaakov HaKohen and by the Slomo and Cindy Sylvian Foundation. Hello and welcome to Candidate, a candid conversation about dating and relationships with experts in the field. My name is Shmuel Ismach, Rabbi at the Young Israel of Great Neck and a Rebbe in the SBMP program at Yeshiva University. With me for this podcast is Dr. Noam Wasserman. He is the Dean of the Sison School of Business at Yeshiva University. And more importantly, for the purposes of this particular episode, he has been a very longtime entrepreneur who has studied founders and entrepreneurs over his long and storied career. He has written books about this subject. He has spent a lot of time investigating and attempting to understand those who are able to really um, take an idea, bring it to fruition, manage relationships, and all of the different things that are involved. And we thought that it would really be beneficial uh, to see and then to understand whether or not there are connections, analogs between founding of companies, the issues that come up in relationships with people, the same way they come up with relationships with uh, businesses and business decisions. And so we brought Dr. Wasserman on to have this conversation. I think it'll be a lot of fun and very interesting. But first, Dr. Wasserman, can I call you Noam? Yeah, please do. I prefer it. Noam, first of all, pleasure to have you here with me today. No, it's a pleasure to be here uh, for several of the reasons you would guess, but even more so just for me to show Akara Satov to why you connects. Uh, my daughters have benefited from it. My most recent daughter got married almost exactly a year ago. It was through a shotgun through YU Connects. And so thank you very much for everything you and everyone else at YU Connects does to be able to have the next generation be able to build this world. Mazel tov, mazel tov. That's really exciting. And so without further ado, so so, so Dr. Wasserman, Noah, what are, the, what are the first and most obvious parallels that you see between the formation of a relationship, the formation of a company? What, what are these similar issues? You know, I, the, way, the way I look at this episode, I, we're constantly using baseball or, or sports metaphors. Like, well, that's a real touchdown of a decision. Wow, you hit a home run or a grand slam on that. For some reason, there's certain things in our lives, which when we when we use those simple metaphors, everything else starts to make more sense. I feel like the same thing is probably true in the business arena in ways that we, we might not necessarily are able to identify. So help me out here. What, what do you think are the lessons that you've learned in these really important decision-making moments that are so important that could spill over into our personal relationships as well? Sure. No. So I don't know that we're going to be able to avoid skating where the puck is going to be uh, and making uh, sports metaphors obsolete in this uh, episode. But um, uh, let me just set the table a little bit with some of the foundational stuff that will then get into uh, why it's actually applicable to some of these uh, realms you talked about before, managing relationships as being a core of, of what is going on with why it connects and everything like that. And there's loads of parallels that we can draw to the relationships within founding teams. A lot of the things that we have with the natural inclinations that we have as people that cause problems for founders and that they have to tune into, they have to be able to diagnose, they have to be able to work against and, you know, reprogram themselves to be able to get better compared to those natural inclinations. So you'll see a bunch of those echoes. Um, but just to give you like the overarching like a uh, perspective that I usually bring to it, usually like to draw lessons at Sci Sims 
from the Torah business. Um, what are the things that, for instance, insights from Masora that make us stronger in the business world? Or what is the knowledge of business that can help us in Yiddishkeit? And a lot of times I've been finding a lot of it comes from entrepreneurship. We see a lot of parallels there um, in terms of universal issues, the people dynamics, um, uh, the language that people even use. Like when you're dealing with the co-founder of your startup and dealing with your co-founder of life, uh, when you are, it's not a perfect overlap, but parallels in language. Founders refer to their startup as their baby. They refer to their co-founder as their startup spouse. They refer to prenups that they create with their co-founder. Um, founder divorce when things go sour. You invest in a relationship, clearly. Yeah, yeah, that could be another one. And so there's lots of echoes in language that also represent the ways in which we acknowledge that these are human factors. These are not just specific to the domain. Um, that the Bena Damla Javero, that is... Uh, the, the best practices that come from one and are portable to the other, built up a foundation of Bain Adama Atzmo. The more that you can tune into yourself, the more you're going to be more effective at dealing with others. And so those are a bunch of the things that are um, the, the very similar things that we can see echoes in it. Um, uh, give you also just a perspective that I have in terms of how it changed my mind about the similarities um, the last slide that I used to put up when I was teaching at Harvard Business School, um, it would be a slide that would quote Rabbi Hanina from Tanis Dav Zion, a uh, famous line that he said about, I've learned from my teachers, I've learned more from my, uh, my classmates, but I've learned the most from my students. And I would be thanking my students for what they had taught me during the semester every day of teaching. There's all sorts of ways in which I have my eyes open to new things about these dynamics that we're going to be talking about. However, the best example of that probably across all of my now, I guess, almost 25 years worth of teaching, uh, best example of it came back in 2010. And to give you a little bit of the background on it, I had spent more than a decade studying founders, studying the people who start startups. And uh, every academic paper I had written had founder in the title. The course I had developed was called Founder's Dilemmas. It had debuted the year before. I was working on a book called Founder's Dilemmas. I was founder, founder, founder. And a student came by to meet with me one-on-one. -on -one. That's one of the delightful things, being able to have uh, helping students grapple with their founding dilemmas in, their, in my office in addition to in class. And he sat down right across from me and he said, Noam, I'm never going to be a founder. So right at that point, I was thinking about apologizing to him for snookering him into taking the wrong course. But he said, I'm never going to be a founder, but your course has already changed my marriage. So I was like, huh. Interesting. This is a chance for me to exercise the Rabbi Hanina skills. David, teach me. <laughs> My student, what are you talking about? This is not at all what I thought I was doing in class. And so he explained to me that he was a newlywed. He had found his co-founder of life and they were struggling. They were having all sorts of challenges now, re-architecting their lives, key inflection point, dual career, being able to make decisions together rather than being able to be solo artists, roles and problems that they had in the relationship of who's going to do what and other things like that. And he said, now he was walking in after each day of class and he was saying, honey, this is one thing that Noam forced us to do in class, a difficult conversation for us to be able to work on being good at these kind of negotiations and things like that. And we're not any good at that right now. Let's try it out here at home. Or we saw today how founders split the roles in their families and um, with, the, with their new co-founder of, of life. And we have not been doing a good job at that. We're having all sorts of tensions about it. Let's try one of these things that we did in class. And so he opened my mind to the fact that it wasn't entrepreneurship we were teaching, but life that we were teaching. And so that was that inflection point when I was breaking out of my box and he was essentially grabbing me by the lapels and saying, there's loads of parallels here. You're not tuning into them. It's about time that you did. 
And so that's sort of about the last dozen uh, years that we've had now about understanding the founder mindset and how it might be portable to our personal relationships. Uh, a bunch of the things that the research indicated are the critical things that founders grapple with that now we can also be able to apply to our personal lives and things like that. And so let's get a little bit into it and please hop in anytime to yeah, go so further. Are, so let's get specific. What, what are certain areas that you have found since you've been studying this specifically? Uh, what, what are these areas, these relationship points where uh, the, this sort of study of the founder work that you've done really informed uh, how people could live better together? Sure. So let's start off with something I tapped the first day of my founding team part of the course about the founding team of the world. So we have Adam and Chava, and we have the two-word description that the Torah uses about their relationship, Ezer Konegdo. And if we take a look at what Rashi says about Ezer Konegdo, it's saying that if we merit, we will get the Ezer. If we don't merit, we will get the Konegdo. And essentially what it says is that when we get the Konegdo, we recoil from it. We see it that I didn't merit better that this is the pushback that I'm, you know, the, the natural human reflex uh, when we get some criticism uh, that we're going to be, you know, back on our heels and not taking it well. And a critical thing is to be able to appreciate a flip side of that. The Nitziv uh, tells us that actually the Konegdo is the Azer. Our getting criticism, our getting pushback is what is going to help us reach our potential. It's highlighting holes that we didn't know we had. And we should look at that as a bracha. And a critical thing is that Rashi is pointing to us of our natural human inclination, descriptive of that. Then Nitziv is pointing to us how we have to develop better, how we have to replace that with welcoming the pushback. And that's one of the key things in any relationship in life, but even more so when we are doing it with our future spouse of our being able to see how that person, we should foster welcoming their criticism. We should have them being able to push back on us and being able to have the ways in which we're going to be able to reach our potential even more um, because they are going to play that kind of a role rather than always being support, 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 that we should welcome the ways in which the um, we should even invite the critique that's going to come from it. And so it's one of the key things to be thinking about as we head into um, uh, starting to date, starting to be able to see, is this person going to be a good connecto or is this going to be all azer, azer, azer? And it's not going to help me get to the, the heights of that. One of my students from HBS, um, she founded a company that brings co-founders together. And she did a golden encapsulation of this concept um, that talked about founders having to learn how to fight well. Founders having to be able to develop their muscles around being able to have controversy, being able to do it a lot better than typically are when founders run away from uh, the pushback and other things like that. We see it in the Gemara. We see the most iconic of the, of the Chavrusas. Um, we see Rabbi Yochanan and Reish Lakish. What was the magic that we see in Baba Metziah? It was that Reish Lakish would be pushing back on Rabbi Yochanan. But this is not at all our natural inclination, especially as we head into a new relationship, as we head into you know dating and then possibly getting engaged and getting married and things like that. And so finding the opportunity for growth that comes from criticism is one of the critical things. And that takes lots of retraining. Uh, we see in the Gemara, the... The best example of this, uh, Rabbi Akiva, who was taking every setback and being able to turn it into a benefit, turning it into a plus, that only came from his learning under tw for 22 years under Nachamish Gamzu. And so it's an ongoing process that we have to develop it. We have to find people who can help us be able to see where, seize on where our holes are and things like that. But that's one of the key things as you're embarking on a new relationship, uh, being able to see the Gamzu Latova and the Azer Konegdo in it. Yeah, I mean, I, I would I would assume that the challenge in the personal relationship uh, could be very, uh, it's tough, right? Because when you're dealing with somebody who knows you quite so well, uh, and somebody who knows not only the, I guess, the intellectual business side of me, like a business partner might, 
but there's also the person who knows me and 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 the deepest parts of my personality and my insecurities i would imagine like in the personal context it's that much more difficult to take that uh criticism so if we're paying attention to how we're doing it in the outside world outside of relationships bringing those skills in will probably beneficial be beneficial so that's great that's great so so what what um when you, when you bring this up with people have you have you ever like talked to couples about about this type of thing or couples like either their founders who come for shalom bias is this something that you've dealt with in the past two founders come together and say we've been fighting like cats and dogs what do we do Did, do, do you, have you had these conversations with either founders or couples using these tools to be able to awaken them to like this awareness? Yeah, no, absolutely. But we can even back up one step first before we even get to that part of it. The problem isn't that they are often fighting over these types of things, not taking it right, but that they're not even willing to surface the criticism. They're not willing to bring up these difficult issues. We have natural human inclinations to avoid difficult conversations. We will run the other direction, especially when it's someone who's close to us from surfacing those types of things. And that's where we have to learn to begin with, with not avoiding the difficult conversations. We have to build difficult conversation muscles well together with these people who are going to be interacting with. And so a lot of times it is where there's the low chance of our having the conversation to begin with. That is the first barrier we have to get past. And there's some of the ways that we can see within founders, how they're able to do that. Some of it is being able to, in, to involve a third party, someone who knows what conversations are important to have and that you're avoiding. This could be the person who's teaching each of you before you're getting married. You know, it could be the, you know, the, the chassan teacher, the, the college teacher who's being able to help you understand where couples go awry and then being able to help you be able to be informed about where the most important conversations to have early are. Each of those conversations is often important unto themselves, but also to the extent that they help you be able to build those difficult conversation muscles together with your future spouse. That is the muscle building that Jessica Alter, my, my alum, was talking about in the Founders Fighting Well the description. Um, and so building the difficult conversation muscles, the, that's the first of the things that you have to be able to bring up. Second of the things is not just relying on the scenario planning of looking at the rosy scenario. We're never going to have problems together. We're always, it's going to be kumbaya within the family. It's, you know, always going to be wonderful uh, relationship. You should be skating where the puck is going to be. <laughs> you should be looking at when we are going to have problems. Let's be able to tee those up now. When it's easy, when you're, when you're having tensions, it's a lot harder for you to be able to bring up difficult things. If in advance, you can talk about where are we going to have some of the divergences? Where are we going to have some of the problems that we're going to face? Now, during calm times, how can we plan for how to be able to do those things well? Uh, Rodolfo Bashevkin, one of our teachers within our Jewish Values uh, curriculum, he talks about being able to identify ahead of time where are the things that you're not going to be able to reconcile together? Where are going to be the, the differences that when they come up, you're not going to be able to reconcile? Those are the things you should be discussing during dating. Those are the things that you should be bringing up at that point are we going to be on the same page about the values that are going to instill in our kids? Uh, is, are you going to want them to be going to movies because you think it's important for them to introduce that to introduce them to culture? I grew up in a family who um, we didn't go to movies. We found other ways that we were able to really tune into a lot of the outside world, be able to engage with it and other things like that. Are we going to be at a loggerheads when it comes to the cultural influences and things like that? That's just one example of where surfacing it early on, identifying where there's going to thing, be things that might be irreconcilable differences, and being able to see, can we deal with them well together? 
can we resolve each of those? But also, are we good at being able to do the connecto to each other where we can resolve things along the way to it? And so A, step one, being able to get yourself to have those discussions. B, being able to look at where it's going to be possible disaster when we have those divergences. And C, bringing up the disaster scenarios. Can we deal with them together? Can we reconcile them? And uh, the ways in which this is like an example within founding teams. Founding teams, you have to force them that when uh, there's, for instance, couplepreneurs, two, uh, two significant others that come together to found together, we have to force them to be able to do disaster planning about if we're fighting, which one of you is going to step away from the venture? Because we should not have you in peril, your couplehood, because within the venture, things are going awry. How can we have a prenup that's going to protect the venture and protect yourselves from it? And if they can't bring up the disaster planning and those scenarios, come up with solutions during the calmest of times, it's going to be really problematic for them to embark on being able to do it at those times. There was one founder that uh, uh, studied and worked with together. Her name was Hillary. She brought her husband into her venture. They were not good at being able to do that within the venture. They ended up divorced because of the fisticuffs that they had within the venture. And so there was all sorts of ways. I what unfortunately happened, what, what, what happened with the business? So the business, once he left, took a bit of a hit initially. She was able to be pretty resilient within the business at the same time as she was battling this in her personal life. Oh boy. And she actually came back and the business did pretty well. But it was definitely a big challenge that they faced that they could have avoided by, uh, by having a lot more of these discussions early on. Honey, when you come into the business, if we're disagreeing, which one of us is going to leave? Those kinds of things are the disaster planning that is usually neglected. And being able to have those scenarios, not just the rosy ones, but also the, the problematic scenarios as being critical things that you can tee up and then create the equivalent of a prenup when you're heading into this kind of an engagement together. Wow. I mean, I'm, I'm curious. What, what do, is there like data on how that, what was that phrase used? Couplepreneurs? Like how that works? Does that, does the synergy of them being together help the business? Does it hurt the relationship? Is there like data on that? Yeah. So this is actually where we can take the founding team data and be able to map it to there. Um, but this is actually one of the other microcosms of when we are making decisions about the people we're going to involve in the businesses and how we're going to involve them. Unfortunately, the most common decisions that we make are the most fraught with peril. And so, for instance, the most common founding team profile, more than half of the founding teams in my data set, I collected data on tens of thousands of founders. Um, the most common profile is that you found with friends and family, those you are close to already, those you have a social relationship with. What do you think is the founding team that is the least stable? I'm, I'm going to say uh, family units, generally. Friends and family are less stable even than strangers who come together to found. Right, and those are markedly less stable than people who have worked together, like coworkers who come together to do it. But unfortunately, the most common, more than half of them, friends and family, and the least stable of them is the preponderant uh, uh, pattern across that. And two of the key things that we've already teed up are two of the key reasons that founding teams failed in that. One, they will not bring up the difficult conversations. They will avoid them, the elephant in the room, until it grows and it tramples everything else there, until the real problems and the disasters are looming and it's too late to be able to do anything about them. And then protecting yourself if things go awry within the venture, protecting the personal life and the relationship outside of it with a prenup or other the mechanisms that you can use to be able to do that. The two things that we were just talking about are the ones that emerge from the founder research and are the most perilous for those teams. Okay, so let, let's, um, is there any other area uh, with specific uh 
I guess, corollaries between the two uh, relationships, personal relationships, relationships in business, where you have found um, a, a, a real direct parallel that if I could learn from one, I could bring it to the other. Any any, any other specifics? Yeah. So we give you one other one that I actually mentioned a little bit when I was talking about the newlyweds problem that my student David was facing. Um, uh, one of the key areas that uh, founding teams tend to blow is when it comes to roles and decision-making, how to be able to split the roles, how to be able to have the difficult conversations about who is doing what, that you are working for me now, rather than best friend, we are in this together and other things along those lines. And so for instance, when David was talking about the uh, problems in splitting up roles, he was succumbing to something that founding teams succumb to and that a lot of times couples also do. And that is in some ways you could call the search for equality. So we have to cook and we have to clean. Well, let's split it 50-50. Each of us is going to do one at a time. You know, the, Tonight, I'm going to cook and you're going to clean. And then tomorrow night, we'll reverse it. That way, we have an equal scoreboard. We're putting in the same amount of effort into what we are doing. That's something that founding teams often latch onto and, um, and use as their way to be able to do the roles in decision-making. And unfortunately, David was doing the same thing. David said that I was pretty good at cleaning. My wife is really good cook. We would split it that each night I would cook and she would clean that night. And then the next night we would split. The problem is half the time we would have burnt food and the other half the time we would have a dirty apartment. This is not working well. And what he had seen is with founding teams, what you should be doing is playing to your strengths and not looking at the scoreboard. You should be approximating that each of us is putting about the same as jobless into what we're doing together, but not be keeping count of how much each of us is doing and things like that. And let's play to our strengths. And so David became the consistent one who was cleaning up. She became the one who was doing the cooking. They said approximately around what we are doing, you know, the same kind of effort that we're putting into it became much healthier for them, much more effective for them. And that was a lesson that he had taken directly out of the founding team parts. Are there any great secrets to discovering those synergies? Like, how do you, uh, is it a personality test? Like, what do you do in the business world? Like, how do you figure out how you divide it? Is it trial and error? Do you, do you figure it out over time? You just have to be malleable enough to be willing to change. Like, what's the secret of figuring so, it out? No, it's very good to be iterative. You take your first stab at something that you put your thought into, but then once you deploy it, you definitely have to learn from it, get the feedback loop and be able to adjust. But if you could take, so when talking with students, I talk about three things. This is the simplest framework that we use across the entire course. Uh, three single syllable words. Um, there's the need, there's the can, and there's the want. And you can talk about it from a career perspective. What is there a need in the world for that they're willing to pay you to do? What is the can for you? What do you have skills that you can bring to it? And what is the want? Do you have the interest and the passion to be able to do it? And if you can go three for three on those, you're golden. Same thing within the couplehood here. There's a need for us to do certain tasks. What are the things that you are good at doing, the can, and what do you really like to do, the want? And I would tell you to sit down with your future spouse, make a list of all the things that we're going to have to do when it comes to chores, when it comes to other things like that. And then if you can find things that each of you has both the capability and the want, and they are different from each other, that's the easy one. Put it into each of those categories about these. This is the thing I am doing that is the can and the want. This is the thing that my wife or my husband is going to be doing, the can and the want. And then when you take a look at what's left on the list, that's where you're going to have to have the difficult conversation. How can we be able to split these other ones? If you have that, neither of you has the can, um, that's going to be problematic. Maybe you should outsource that. <laughs> Maybe you should have someone else do it You know, outside of this. Neither of us is good at being able to figure out how we're going to be able to take our wedding money and be able to invest it. 
well, maybe you should hand that to, an, uh, to a financial advisor. Um, neither of us is good at being able to do, you can go through each of the other things there, see whether it's something that you two should do, or if there's somewhere that you can easily outsource it to, to someone else. And then the things that are left, if you're each good at doing it, but you don't really want to do it, then that's when you should be able to see, okay, one for each of us that goes into each of these columns and be able to have an initial cut at how you're going to be able to have something that is roughly even. Um, but the biggest pieces are playing to your strengths. And then there are things that remain. You either find some other way to get them done or each of you takes on something that is roughly equal to what the other one is doing. I wonder at what point uh, one spouse is able to ask the other for a raise. Uh, I don't know if that's like, a, it might be an awkward conversation. I feel like it always is in the business context. But, but no. so, so even, that, better, that... even better if you're going to do a performance review for each other. Oh, how no, are you going to be able to give some great. of that feedback uh, on the Connecto part? Maybe maybe a year-end bonus. A year-end bonus would be a wonderful idea tied to, I don't know, some sort of uh, deliverable. Um, okay, so so that which leads me to, to, I guess, the question that I have relating to differences. Clearly, not all relationships are the same, right? So so the business relationship will have elements that do not exist in the marriage and vice versa. So what, where where does the metaphor fail? Meaning the techniques that you've mentioned are great. And, and sometimes like the fact that they've been so overly studied for commercial purposes, we could take all of those lessons that are learned to the maybe the romantic and the personal, but but to what extent like have you found that no there is a fundamental difference between them that it doesn't doesn't work to, uh, other than of course raises because I, I don't think that's I don't think that's okay okay yeah I'm sorry go on <laughs> well you're, you've already hit on the biggest one that occurred to me so uh, just to reframe like the things that we've been talking about and do a little Hazara on it um, the three biggest areas that founders blow it when they're involving other people and creating their founding teams are what we call the three R's so there's relationships. What you're tapping for that is it friends and family, or is it uh, coworkers and other things like that? Second is the roles and decision making that we've also covered that we're just discussing now, and the third is the rewards. And all of that's the financial rewards and the other things that go into being able to have like the benefit from what you're growing, the value of it, be able to be allocated to each of those people. And that's the one, as you were just saying, that I would say where it breaks down the most. Like uh, having a focus on having the the financial rewards um, and how are we going to allocate those. I would think is going to have a minus for couples who are too focused on that type of stuff. Um, there should be in general that each of us might have certain needs when it comes to the financial side that hopefully will be roughly within the same partial as each other and things like that. Uh, but the same way that founders are splitting the equity, the ownership of the venture, and that a lot of times that causes things to go awry if they're not doing it right. Um, that's where I think that there's a bunch of cautions about uh, not becoming focused on the ownership part of it. That's often the most divergent for founders, the most devastating, if they're not able to do that kind of thing right. Hopefully, uh, during the dating, you're going to be able to find that we're on the same page when it comes to um, we don't want to go on high-priced vacations rather than having one of us wants to go on it and needs some money to be able to pay for it. And the other one is a lot more of the shoestring and my vacation is going to family and other things like that. Like other ways in which hopefully you can set it as a foundation that you're not going to diverge on the rewards part of it. Um, founders have ways to be able to allocate rewards differently. Within couples, you don't really have that. Founders can say that I'm going to own 70% of this venture. You're going to own 30% of the venture. And let's make sure that one of us is doing 70% and the other one's doing 30%. You can't do that within a couple. That's not going to work. And so the rewards part is, I think, the one that might be the most divergent. I'm wondering if there is a, is a fundamental difference also in that every founder, if there are co-founders, maybe I'm just like thinking of like the Facebook story, you know, the, the, the fundamental founder really believes that I can do this myself 
or they really want to be able to do this themselves. And and this other person, uh, for whatever reason, is is like you know in the way of that because they couldn't be the CTO and the CEO. They couldn't do both roles. But if they could, one person would want to have one hundred percent of the pie. Whereas in marriage, fundamentally, you're not looking towards that. It's it's about the the partnership, the shutfist, so to speak. It's about getting that 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 synergy together. That's sort of also, I guess, the ultimate goals of the uh, the business is, is really is really togetherness. So I'm thinking like that might also be a fundamental difference, even if the techniques for togetherness are are very similar. But this has been really fascinating. Okay, any- no, no, absolutely. So in terms of what you're talking about, that uh, the People celebrate the solo founder. People celebrate the person who took the weight of the world on her own shoulders and founded something that impacted the world. Even within my data set, 84% of the ventures were co-founded. So even there, you don't do it alone. You do it with someone else. And the way in which you can see a trial test that is this someone who I might be able to have as a co-founder of life is, are we going to be able to create something that's going to be greater than each of us might be able to do on our own? And so the same way that co-founders are looking at that same equation, um, that's the aspiration that we would have, that it's going to be the um, the coalescing of the skills, the differences between what we bring to the table, that we can use the connectos to be able to complement each other. Those are, in some ways, the best things to be able to see as a test for couplehood. Right. And they always use that word synergy, uh, you know, one plus one equals uh, three or something greater than the sum of its parts. I, I feel like we don't always talk about that in marriage, right? If we think about like completing a whole, but it's more than that, right? It's, it's trying to figure out how you, each of them together creates something that neither of them could be on their own. Um, and yeah, that's really cool. I hadn't ever thought about any of this. So I, I appreciate it. And by the way, the fact that you're able to put in some sports metaphors is, uh, is very appreciated. So we got the business metaphor and the sports metaphor. So like, this is really beneficial. I think uh, listeners of all, of all kinds will be able to understand everything discussed. Any, any, any last thoughts, any last thoughts that you wanted to share on the, on the subject? Like what, what people who are, have a business inclination, like where, where, where they want, they, they, they think they're good at business and they think they could take that and bring it to their marriages, like best books to read or something that they can focus on to be able to draw some skills from an area that they're familiar with to an area that might not be as good at. What would you, what would you recommend? Well, what I think is to tune into the fact that we can learn something about ourselves from business that would then be applied into our personal lives. Usually we think about them as compartments of life that are distinct and separate. And instead, we can learn things about ourselves in one domain that then show us where our biases, where our natural inclinations are going to be problematic in the other one. If we avoid conversations in business, we're likely to avoid conversations in our personal lives. Um, If we're going to have that focus on equality in one domain, it's probably likely that it's going to be in the other domain. And so think about what are some of the things that you've learned about yourself in each one that you might be able to apply to the other one. That's a really um, great point. Just a pause there. Like, that's a really great point. Like if I've been in business for 10, uh, for five years, right? And I, I've noticed the same thing happening with with coworkers and the same things happening with 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 my employees or the same thing happening with, with co-founders. So there's a very good chance that that's actually not a highlight of my business acumen or skills. It might be related to my personality my personality and my ability to manage uh, relationships, right? So that, that's, a, that's a great, I guess, Musser Haas skill that I can walk out with. Okay, sure. I'm sorry. Interrupt. Yeah, so the self-awareness, exactly. The building of self-awareness that we do in one domain, make sure you don't neglect to then apply it to the other domain. And that's where the Ben Adamla Atzmo part comes in to facilitate our being able to be better at being in Ben Adamla Lechavero. Uh, one final one to end with like an entrepreneurship note, um, my favorite line from the founder of Apple, Steve Jobs, Allah Shalom, 
um, applies to a bunch of the things that uh, we're talking about here. By the way, I, um, had a, I had a really hard time with that book, with that story, but we, we used to talk about that at a different time. He, that character, very, I don't know, Javero, Atzmo, that's it. That's all I'm going to say. Tough stuff, tough stuff in that book. But yeah, go no, on. No, absolutely. There's lots of ways in which I tap him uh, as a cautionary tale. This, though, is one that I would say was Shebach in terms of the, the one line he's talked about. And I think he captures some of the things that we've had in the, the back and forth today. Um, what dear old Steve Jobs, Lava Shalom said was, follow your heart, but check it with your head. So essentially know at what points your heart might mislead you. Know at what points your natural inclinations are going to have you go awry and things like that. And at that point, pull back on the reins. Think a little bit more about what you're about to do. Think a little bit more about the path ahead and the, the troubles that you might face because of it. And think about maybe there's a different direct that I might want to take on my way, how I'm approaching this or who I'm involving in and other things like that. And so get informed through your podcast, through the, uh, the things that YUConnect is bringing to the world in terms of the accumulated knowledge about um, how to be able to do these things well. Inform yourself by listening to your mentors, by your abeyim, your teachers, and other things like that. Have that path ahead of you be painted for yourself. Also get a little bit of the roadmap through yourself of under the self-awareness. And at the nexus of the two, be able to then harness it to be able to do it in the service of the heart and the passion that you want to be able to follow. Beautiful, beautiful. And if you're ever interested in a podcast, uh, you know, Cy Sims Connects, uh, talking about the lessons <laughs> that could be learned from relationships to business, uh, we'd be glad to uh, we got to collaborate on well, that. Actually, on that note, we actually have a podcast that I started uh, six months ago with Charlie Arari that does a bit of this um, in terms of the focus on the, the founder side of it, but we do draw the lessons for life. Um, it's called the Founders Dilemmas podcast, and it's essentially a Torah business podcast. Not as directly hitting this na- this nail on the head as what you're doing. Um, not 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 a you know as not hitting the the ball um, as hard as you are in terms of all the things that you are doing. Well done, um, well but done. Yeah, they said that it might be of interest to people. Um, they can just go and find the the Founders Dilemmas podcast. You'll see founding team stuff that we talked about here. You'll see some of the application of entrepreneurial mindset that you can also be able to get there. Okay, great. Thank you so much, Dr. Wasserman. Thank you for joining us. And thank you to all the listeners taking the time to learn a little bit more about Shaduchim, about dating and about relationships on behalf of Why You Connects. Thank you all for participating and listening. Have a great day. Thank you to our gracious hosts and guests this evening. Please email us at yuconnects at yu.edu to suggest future dating and relationship building topics and guests for your enjoyment. Candidate at yuconnects.